Hello, and welcome to She Speaks 2, the podcast where we share the stories of African Americans who have made an impact in their communities from the South Carolina Lowcountry and beyond. I am your host, Patricia Blygen Jones. Join us on She Speaks 2. Good evening, Harold Singletary, and welcome to She Speaks 2, the podcast. How are you? I am wonderful this evening, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. You're more than welcome. Harold, let's start by um, asking just a few questions. Tell us about your latest business venture, Bright Maw Farms. What is Bright Maw Farms? What do you all grow? What do you all sell? Awesome. Bright Maw Farms is a vertical uh, minority hemp group. Um, We grow CBD, hemp genetic strains, uh, from seed to clones, um, we have um, tinctures, oils, gummies, um, uh, and a holistic organic approach uh, to a market that is expanding. Um, and we're excited to be, you know, a veteran minority managed group in this space. Awesome. Tell us about the name behind Bright Ma Farms. Tell us the history. Tell us the, the backstory. Yeah. Uh, that story might take us on for a while, but it's, I will give it a short version and it's so much energy there. Um, I was bequeathed a 10 acre track of land that's Irish property from my grandmother, Katie Roper. And Katie comes from a generational line of farmers. Uh, my grandparents, I grew up on a farm and this 10 acre track is in Monk's Corner in Coorsville. And she always told us stories when we were younger about her mom and her grandma, who was a slave. And her, she was called Bright Ma. Wow. And she was a slave on the Ball Plantation, one of the largest plantation owners in the Low Country. And Coming Tea Plantation is in Cordsville. And so this track of land ties back to Bright Ma, is where she settled her family post slavery. And you know, walking that land and clearing that land, you know, it, it came evident to me and explaining to my team what the history of this opportunity and where we were, that Bright Ma was with us and that our future would be bright. And so I wanted as the visionary and CEO of the company to take that energy with us. And this is, you know, of course, before uh, 2020 incidents that has, you know, put race, conversations back in front of us um but it was already an energy felt when we were clearing the land at the end of 2018 um so bright my farms um the love and the energy comes from an ancestor that paved the way for us to be here and that land is still within our family and it will create generational wealth Great. That's wonderful. Can you share with us the medicinal properties or, you know, value of your farm, the product that you all are producing? Because I think sometimes yes. people hear it and they just think, oh my God, that's marijuana. And I think there needs to be some clarification. For sure. And, and you know, for all of those that think that hemp is cannabis, it, it is of that genetic but it is not cannabis. The THC level of the hemp plant, which is regulated and federal, federally stipulated, that has to be under 0.3% THC level, which is you know, what cannabis has a high percentage of that makes people consider you know, they feel high or they feel loopy, but there's so many medical attributes even to the marijuana plant 
that big farmer um, has, has poisoned us for many years. Look at the opioid epidemic um, that marijuana could then step in. But hemp is a sister product. Um, it, you know, or a genetic strain that, like I said, has a lower THC level. Um, and some of the medical attributes go from a various of spectrums, inflammation, anxiety, depression, pain management, uh, hunger. Um, you know, it's so many different things that can be utilized with the plant to uh, strengthen us, um, you know, for our health, um, just our, our day-to-day, you know, life and being in balance. It is a plant of the earth. Um, and, and if you go back in history, it was put on the ban list along with marijuana um, in the in the big cotton prohibition era. Um, and, and those industries took advantage of removing that product because plastics wouldn't have a standpoint now, which hemp is now replacing plastics. We see what plastic has done to our environment. Um uh, um, the, the fiber of the plant, the grain of the plant, um, the CBD, cannabinoid tinctures that allows you to get various medicinal attributes that, that I previously referenced. Um, it's unlimited. There's over a thousand uses that the hemp plant can fulfill. One thousand? So I'm excited because, yeah, over a thousand. And, and I will share um, a, a sheet of the various hemp uses and um, with you that you can then maybe i don't know if you could post that with your podcast but you can share that information um and you know just to touch a few of those just off top i mean from industrial textiles paper building material food um, industrial products oil varnishes inks fuel um personal hygiene it could be you know soap shampoo lotions balms um granola um, wow. You can make, you know, seed oil, hemp seed oil flows in, um, biomass, you know, it's so many different benefits. And even um, the hemp product could be used for weed suppression. Um, you know, within fields, you can grow the hemp and it will, you know, avoid weeds from taking over land. Um, it, it is a great absorbent as well. Um, so the grain can be used in spills. Um, right now, I'm currently, our company is working with a large auto- automotive company um, looking to replace plastics in the engine with hemp products, hemp fiber. And so, um, you know, what I what I have been trying to do is advocate for farmers to understand C- CBD is a hot buzzword right now. Right. The industry is expanding, but CBD is the hot buzzword. This thousand line item opportunity, I'm telling you, we all shouldn't be growing for CBD. We should be growing in the various components of what this plant could touch and so you know it's a lot to still be learned but the opportunity is great and I I hope people will you know look at joining like the U.S. Hemp Growers Association of which I'm a board of director on it's a national organization that advocates for all hemp farmers you know we get regulated heavily by the South by Department of Ags and USDA and in the federal farm bill and hemp bill but we have to advocate for there to be someone to regulate. And so that's what I'm looking to do and hopefully bring a lot more minority farmers in the game, but educating them on the process and that this is a lucrative opportunity. You have to look down range to find which lane you want to walk in. So um, super exciting. Um, Like I said, it's uh, unbelievable the opportunity we have to bring this plant back. We've lost several years of genetic 
opportunities with this being a banned uh, item. Uh, and, and I can tell you now, being a South Carolinian, we have BMW, we have Boeing, we have Volvo only U.S. plant. All three of those major manufacturers use hemp byproducts in their vehicles or airplanes or equipment. Really? Why not? Yes. I didn't know Boeing, that. You, yeah, Boeing, you, some of the seats and, and airbags and some of the uh, flooring, some of the plastics, all of these guys, BMW, all of these guys are using hemp. And the hard part for me and what I'm working with with our you know local congressmen and senators is you know we gave them a benefit to come to South Carolina. South Carolina is growing hemp. I don't want to hear that they're importing hemp from China or Indonesia or Thailand when they could be utilizing U.S., especially South Carolina hemp, with them being in our backyard. So a question. Uh, why hemp and not corn or okra? For me, it was, I was already um, interested. I knew the plant. I'm a veteran um, that experienced PTSD. I was looking, you know, for other substitute for anxiety versus being on opioids or other pain management. You know, I had a mother that I lost four years ago to bone cancer. I saw what opioids did to her quality of life. Um, and so understanding that this plant had medicinal um, uses that could not, you know, hurt her or affect her the way the other big pharma drugs did, I was like, wow, like more people should know about it. And, you know, I saw an opportunity with the people within my network um, out west in the Midwest in California that if I did this and did this right and built my boutique company that I could create generational wealth. And I wanted to do that not just for my family, but others in my network that came along with me. Um, so hemp um, and understanding that it was bigger than just CBD. Um, I saw this as a great opportunity in an expanding market in an industry that's just getting started in my state that I could I could be a lead leader and my company could be in the forefront of, of doing big things. So it was, uh, you know, I like to say even Bright Ma from farming rice and cotton. Now we farm in hemp. <laughs> well, you know what? That's not a bad thing. I mean, it's all about. Um, it's, I mean, not just money, but you want to make sure whatever it is you're cultivating, it has some, you know, solid value. Um, and, and it's not going to be cheapened, you know, um, by what people think they know versus what's the truth. So with that, with that being said, um, tell me about when do you harvest, you know, how long does it take from a seed being planted to harvest time? Walk us through that process. Yeah, so you're looking at, and it depends on how people farm. Like, we provide quality um, genetics uh, to farmers, but we provide rooted clones. So we have a mom that is cycled um, with the COA certificate of analysis. We know the genetic strain. We know that it is a feminized product. The THC level is in, within compliance, and we give the farmers a jump start. So they're not trying to plant a seed let that seed pop to then get it rooted, to then put it in the field, to then go through the vegetative stage into flower stage, then to harvest stage. And so even when you're harvest, you're not free and clear. That's just one anxiety off of your <laughs> off of your neck as a farmer. Right. You still gotta dry and cure and then either, you know, move the, the flower 
or either process the flour to extract oil or get it, you know, processed for grain or, or processed for fiber, et cetera. Um, but for us, um, it takes about six months to um, create a uh, strong mother plant that we can then take rooted, you know, unrooted cuts from, get that cut rooted within a week time to then go into veg uh, for about six weeks. And then, you know, you have uh, another uh, six weeks. It's a three-month process until we get the harvest. Um, so our harvest will be coming out that we have in our greenhouse in November. Mm-hmm. But we are a indoor grow. Um, most farmers are farming in the field. And that window for them to get in the field is late May, early June. Mm-hmm. And they're out of the field the end of August. Um, and as you know, we are in hurricane season. Right. So with you know farmers in the field, we've gotten two passes already this year, um, but it's it's always a risk, and they're only going to get one harvest cycle per year. For me, I will get four harvests because I'm perpetual. As I come out in November, I'm indoor. I'm going back in with the next cycle. Right. Um, so you know the benefit for me, I wanted to mitigate my risk. Um, as far as the different things, the pathogens, you know, other hemp farms maybe close by that could cross pollinate and mess up my genetics. I wanted to control our destiny as much as we can. There are still variables we have to face even growing indoors, but I wanted to mitigate that and produce a medical grade type product that I felt good about putting to market. Um, and so here we are, our Bright Mouth Farms. Uh, with about 20,000 square feet of indoor grow space um, on our campus. By the time we're finished, we'll probably have about 150,000 square feet of indoor grow. Wow. So have you all, um, where are your products being sold? Um, Once, you know, you get through the process of um, harvesting, um, extracting the oils for packaging, yep. packaging. What, what, I mean, what have you all, do you have anything on the market right now that someone could go into the store and say, Hey, I'm buying this, uh, bright Ma farms product. Yep. Yes, we do. And we, uh, we sell our products wholesale to a lot, several dis- distributors across the nation. Um, there are several local stores that carry our product, but we also have our web e-merchant system, brightmawfarms.com, um, where you can buy, you know, various lines of our products from um, oil tinctures, topicals, bombs. Um, we have uh, a beauty line that we're coming out with hemp products related in it as well for, for the women. Um, and we sell a lot of um, CBD flour and um, pre-rolls across various shops, you know, up and down the southeast. We're doing a lot of sales right now in the Midwest. Um, so we're excited. You know, we don't have a physical storefront. Um, but like I said, we provide genetics to farms. We do sell our flour and our CBD pre-rolls. And then we have the tinctures and oils that we also retail online. And we sell wholesale to others that they can then sell in their stores. Um, so our footprint is expanding as we speak. And, and um, I'm just super excited about the future. Awesome. When did you establish Bright Mall Farms? What year? Yeah, so we, uh, South Carolina... Uh, allowed hemp to be farmed starting in 2017 with the first licensing. They gave out 20 licenses in the first pilot year. We got our license in 2018, the second year of the pilot program, where they only issued 40 permits 
in, for the entire state. Currently, we're out of the pilot program, and there are about 240 licensed farms in South Carolina, and I expect that number to continue to grow. Um, you know, so 2018, we received our um, our permit, and we began construction development in that fourth quarter that took us into clearing land, you know, you know, building our facilities, and we received our certificate of occupancy in July of 2019, and we began and we pulled off our full first harvest um, again in November of uh, 2019 and kept going perpetual from that positioning, looking to expand in territories and uh, build our market and our brand. Um, so we are going in, you know, July just passed was our first operational year um, in place. So we're within our second year and things are bright. Our future is bright. Great. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about the process? Yeah, you mentioned um, receiving permission or receiving a certificate uh, to start growing. But what, what, I mean, tell us a little bit about that process. Is it a difficult process? I mean, is it just filling out an application and getting a stamp somewhere? Walk us through that. Yeah, so South Carolina Department of Agriculture is the uh, regulate, you know, regulatory group that manages the license. They have a hemp uh, group, um, you know, group up there ran by Vanessa Essela. She came from California in their hemp program. Um, they do a good job of giving you as much documentation of what you need. Um, but yes, it's, it's an application. You have to put, you know, standard information. You have to get a background check. You submit that application with an application fee upon approval, then you pay the permit fee. Um, and so, you know, just normal business licensing procedure, dotting your I's, crossing your T's, TMS number of your track of land. Um, and it's it's not as uh, heavily intensive as people may think, but it's just some standard documentation that is required. Um, and, you know, even before someone is thinking about, hey, I'm going to go get this permit, I recommend them think through and build a vision board. You know, like I mentioned to you about the thousand line item opportunities, which one do you want to sit in? You know, what's the best opportunity to be a part of this emerging industry, um, either downrange in the supply chain or as a grower in the supply chain? So all of those things matter. Uh, for us, we, we made ourselves vertical because we wanted to control our destiny. You know, we wanted to, to grow the product, process the product, go to market with the product, um, and also establish, relationship, establish uh, relationships with you know, supplier and this people in this supply chain that we could connect bridges to. Um, so, you know, the, the licensing process is pretty standard. Um, there's some fees tied to it. Um, but before even, even if you acquire the license and you don't grow, you have that opportunity too. But I say, build a plan, build a model. And if you, you know, you're not kind of a farmer, or you don't understand the plan, because I know a lot of people have gotten in, they're used to you know, growing vegetables, this is a different plan. So you would need some cult consultation or a consultant or hire someone on staff that has um, hemp, cannabis, cultivation skills and build around that market. All right, so as chief executive officer, tell us about um, the rest of your staff. How many people um, does it take to run Bright Maw Farms? on the admin side, as well as the agricultural side? For sure. I have uh, 
three other executive managers that, you know, are my right hand. Um, Brandon Hudson, he's my director of cultivation. He's a master grower, uh, licensed cannabis uh, master grower. Uh, he's been growing uh, hemp and, and cannabis for over 25 years. Um, my director of sales uh, and marketing is Sherman Evans. Um, him and his wife had a retail business on Broad Street, a high-end district in uh, in Charleston. And um, so he's my director of sales. And then I have John Mark Villain, who is my COO, uh, finance and executive background, um, you know, 20, 20 years in banking, um, you know, over 30 years of executive management. And then I have my cultivation crew, which is a mix. We have a junior cultivator. Her name is Lauren Sefton. She's Brandon's right hand. Um, but we have a labor crew, cultivation labor crew, because, you know, farming is labor intensive. Um, and, and, you know, we have probably about eight people on our cultivation um, labor team. Um, and, you know, admin, we have about three people uh, doing admin work for us, you know, social media, marketing, um, and we have consultants as well that we do business with that strategically help us map map out um, the gaps that we may have. Um, you know, but like I said, we are, for us, we're boutique indoor growth. Um, if you're in the field, your labor force is even larger, you know. Right. Um, just be the amount of work that it takes to go from planting to, you know, cultivation period, harvesting, um, weed management, you know, it's a lot. Um, but, you know, the cycle and the process is doable if you have a plan. And, you know, me coming from an accounting background and uh, as an executive and understanding SOPs and, you know, procedures that people can have a blueprint on, all of that was done for us. So we didn't just say, hey, we're a farm group. We're, you know, we, we are running this as a corporation. So we dot our I's and cross our T's and make sure everyone, the communication chain is there and that we all could, if someone's out, could fill in a role. So as a CEO, believe me, I've been in my hands in dirt. Um, I've uh, helped, you know, with repairs and maintenance out at the site. Um, you know, we're, we all fill in and, and wear a hat, no matter the day. Every day we wake up as farmers. Okay, that's good to know. Let me ask you this. Um, what about startup costs? I mean, what would you tell people who will listen to this podcast and go, I can do that. Uh, talk to us about startup costs. Yeah. Um, you know, it depends on, as I mentioned, with the different modern uses of the hemp plant, which lane you're going to sit in, um, your startup costs will vary. Um, if, you know, for me, you know, we, we, we got started with about a 1.4 million cash inflection into startup. And that was heavy development. Like I said, 15,000 square feet. Um, and you know expanding that as we speak uh, um you know and a lot of that was capital assets you know cultivation supplies um labor costs um we i own the land so that was not a factor for us um and so someone's trying to farm in the field you know you're still going to look at genetics where do i start with getting quality genetics to go in my field you know you're going to have to you know have that field ready and prepped um, you know, so it's it's labor intensive and cash flow intensive on the front end. And if you mapped it out, it's very lucrative on the back end. Um, 
You know, this is a, a large, large industry with a lot of options and opportunities. Um, you just have to map out your vision board. Um, something, like I said, to anyone that's getting in the game, it starts from what position in the supply chain that you want to be in, and then we can map out and discuss costs. That sounds like a solid plan. Let me ask you um, about your grandmother, Miss Katie Roper. Um, tell yeah. us a little bit more about Miss Katie. Oh, my grandma, I grew up, um, I was raised by women, you know, strong women. Uh, my mother, my aunt, and uh, my grandmother were, um, were big foundation pieces for me, uh, made me the man that I am today. And my grandmother was a definitely a strong black woman um, who, you know, had a sixth grade education, but she was a midwife. Um, you know, she was born in 1912. Wow. Um, you know, she had a sixth grade education, but she was an entrepreneur. She had an open air market on Folly Road, you know, um, in the forties. Um, and my grandparents were farming on James Island. So they were local rural farmers. My granddad was well-respected. Um, all our produce were in all of the local chains, the grocery stores. Um, but my grandmother, you know, always would tell me, you know, hard work won't kill you, but worrying about it will, you know, and that was just a statement of thought, you know, and, and it stuck with me, you know, why, why complain, you know, look at obstacles as opportunities and uh, champion the change you want. Right. And that proactive approach in life has gotten me where I am. And it has always expanded territories for me. Um, but, you know, my grandmother was an amazing woman. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super proud. And I know she's in heaven looking down and Bright Ma's looking down and, and Dolores, my mom, is looking down and they're proud. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm excited that the foundation I had allowed me to be in the position where I am now. And it was because of those women. Now, how have you been received in the community where your farm is? Are people aware of what you're doing or? Yeah. Good, funny, funny, funny that you said that. This land was left to me, oh, kind of in 2000. My grandma deeded it over then. Mm -hmm. And um, I never went out there, to be honest. I just paid the tax. You know, I, you know, I was heavy in my accounting career. Um, you know, recently married, new family starting. You know, it was just something I knew my grandmother, she treasured. She treasured that property. And as I got, you know, older and understood and you know the, the book the book was written by ed ball slaves in the family mm -hmm. um my grandmother was on oprah winfrey talking about you know our generational lineage tied to that ball plantation um there is a exhibit in the smithsonian and dc african voices where my family is also in this exhibit so the heritage and the knowledge even going back to the wide wide bright mall like it was in front of me it was in in front of my face like this is this is where it needs to be you know, and tell that story. And so part of this business being uh, a great opportunity to create generational wealth is also um, telling us the story of my heritage, you know. And um, so just just super exciting just knowing that we, you know, we're farming cotton, now we're farming hemp, right? Right. But on our terms. Right, <laughs> right, know? right, so, right. Um, yeah, just, you know, amazing and um you know, our story will be told, but be, it will be told by us. 
Right. And um, I'm working on that blueprint now. Do you have any uh, words of wisdom for those thinking about entering uh, the field of harvest planting and harvesting hemp? Yeah, so one would be uh, look for those advocacy groups. The regulatory groups will always stand in front and tell you why you shouldn't, but the advocacy groups will help you get in the game and understand why you should. And um, one that I, I sit on as a board of director is the U.S. Hemp Growers Association um, national group that advocates for all hemp farmers. Um, I say start there, join a membership. Um, I just did a virtual expo last week with the Farm Journal, um, and it was all about hemp. And I'm just chatting with farmers internationally and nationally that attended. And uh, I know the more you can do your due diligence and your resource and even reach out to me, you know, Harold at brightmoffarms.com, um, you know, but have a vision board. It starts there. Um, write that vision board out. Get some education, some advocacy where you understand the industry, and then we can position opportunities from there. Where do you see, um, I guess, within the next five to ten years, um, do you think there will be, um, it'll be a, there'll be more people farming hemp? Yes. I totally see it. You know, our, you look not just, I wouldn't say on an economic basis, but you look at just our environment, right? What we're doing, um, even with the plastics and the biofuels and, you know, fiber, um, replacing some of the paper use, um, the things that the plant does, you know, for food, food element and support, um, medicine. Um, the opportunity is robust. Um, we just have to navigate a way in this emerging industry of thinking CBD is the only quantitative thing that we should be doing with the plant. And as that expands and this emerging market expands, um, greater opportunities will be there. So those that are looking to get in, how do you look downrange, right? right. Like Elon Musk with electric cars and just to, right? Like how do you look downrange and say what would be better for our kids, kids, and their kids. And hemp is one of those plants that can open doors to a lot of variations and a lot of opportunities um, to navigate. So yes, it will expand. I just referenced 2017, South Carolina only had 20 permitted farmers. 2018, we had 40. Right now we're at 240. Wow. Um, so that, that, uh, that will continue to grow. And I, I feel confident that above and beyond hemp, um, you know, federal deregulation of cannabis will happen as well. Um, the plight and the story of big pharma controlling markets, uh, putting, you know, the opioid epidemic, which they knew the outcome, they knew what it was. It was about the dollar sign, though. Um, when they start caring about our health and when we start taking an approach and a holistic approach and understanding our health as well, we will see that this, this is the direction we need to go in. Wow. Harold, thank you so much for sitting down for this interview with me. Thank you for giving us clarity on the hemp industry, and we wish you much success. My queen, I appreciate your time. Thank you for connecting me with the opportunity. I look forward to expanding territories. If you have any feedback, anyone that listened to the podcast that, you know, want to reach out, 
Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. You can look me up at brightmouthfarms.com. My email, Harold at brightmouthfarms.com. And I look forward to being uh, a foundation piece that you can inquire and get advocacy and get the knowledge and get the facts. Um, but I'm looking to position and support several more minorities being in this space um, because the opportunity to create generational wealth is definitely there. Why not do it together? On that note, thank you so much. Have a great evening. Same to you. Thanks for joining us this week on She Speaks Too. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at She Speaks Too. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave us a review so we can continue to bring you fresh content. See you next week.